1: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. Actually getting ready to uh, take some Huntworth gear to the field. Uh, tomorrow, going to go do some scouting with, uh, with Eric. Um, getting ready for some turkey hunting. But that piece of property we were talking about on the last... Uh, podcast going and, and checking out trying to break down a new piece of property. Um, gonna get on that. Uh, do a little scouting for turkeys probably gotta pick up a camera for one of the patreons Chris and uh, there's been turkeys on that camera so um, be a good good time. Uh, been looking at that on the maps and gonna try and figure that out. Um, this podcast is one I recorded. Uh, just got back from, uh, Wisconsin doing the, uh, HHA USA, uh, mission 24 shoot. Um, and there was a tour of the Vortex facility. Um, Aaron did his, uh, you'll hear at the end of this podcast his a three G, um, announcement for the recipient of uh, his grant, which is like over $10,000 worth of archery equipment and hunt, uh, put on by, um, the other gentleman on this podcast chris dunlap so just uh, super super cool um event first time doing anything like that um i was by far the uh, worst uh shooter out there or at least in the in the groups that i was with um but uh i think i've been shooting the longbow too much and i need to get back to shooting the uh the compound um i was really confident setting up my sight tape and then getting out there um, it was like a clinic in uh, target panic. So uh, we got to get back to figuring that out, but um, super cool uh, premise on this podcast. Aaron just did a, a backcountry Turkey hunt um, and kind of, you know, what we talk about with deer camp and uh, camaraderie and all that stuff kind of comes to play into this one. A uh, lot of, not exactly how I would, Uh, have framed it and I think that's why it's a good conversation because there is uh, with turkey hunting like we say about there not being a a double drop tine or a you know 600 inch bull or 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 anything like that with turkeys it's just fun if you mess up it's not a big deal Um, but then couple that with like the barrier of entry of mountain hunting for say elk like you want to go you want to backpack in you want to do that Um, there are some guys that do that around here for whitetail um, and I imagine in that same area there's guys that do it for for whitetail as well but it just isn't something that's talked about as much and if you were gonna kind of work your way up baby step your way into a a western hunt while you were gathering points gathering gear uh, saving up money uh, it would be a good way to kind of you test some of that gear, do some of that stuff, uh, kind of get your mind right for, for being out there. Um, so I think you guys are going to really uh, enjoy this uh, different. Uh, you learn a little bit about spit drumming and things like that. Um, and, and us being able to go to things like this for, for me to go over there, uh, we couldn't do that without our sponsors, without the, the Patreons, um, without all of you guys supporting the show. Um, so You know, we got to give a good big shout out to our our sponsors, you know, uh, Huntworth. Um, Aaron is also a latitude guy. We talk a little bit about them in the beginning of the podcast, just from, you know, the last time I saw Aaron in person was two years ago at ATA. Um, And then uh, he also shoots Zinger fletching. He wasn't shooting their arrows. And I'll I'll tell you what, I was putting, I've put those arrows through the paces between uh, getting my bow sighted in, verifying my tape at 93 yards and, uh I mean, I shot four by fours. I've shot plywood. I shot all sorts of things. Um, had my arrows shot. Thank you, Jason, uh, on the course over the weekend, and um, very happy with them to this point. I mean, I I, I lost one arrow and broke one um, that uh, I mean basically would have been Robin Hood if it was a bigger arrow. Uh, broken, knock, split the shaft, all that fun jazz, but durability, uh, everything has been, been really good. There's some other, um, custom arrows, we'll call them, um, that we were shooting with on the course. And, uh, you know, you shoot a tree and they're broke, they're junk. So, uh, very happy with those. Uh, if you saw our, our, uh, post on Instagram today, already seeing bucks down in Missouri, Mark's got cameras on the lucky buck down there. And, you know, that's <laughs> that's exciting. But like I said, on that podcast, you know, it's kind of like deer porn. Like those are deer that I won't get to shoot, uh, may end up down there, but, uh, Mark's going to be hunting that property, uh, with probably with one of the, uh, other patrons, Andrew. Um, so looking forward to seeing what comes out of there. And, uh, you know, we just appreciate everybody that we work with, you know, Austin over at Genesis 3d and then like Bill at Spartan Forge Spartan Forge they just keep coming out with more and more cool stuff. Uh, so definitely go check them out at SpartanForge.ai. And uh, you can use code BOWHUNTER save 25% there. Um, you're not going to find better imagery. And then the AI is just icing on the cake, really. Um, really need to go check them out if you haven't. And they got, you know, all the free maps there too. So definitely worth going and checking out. But this podcast is Uh, a super fun one just because anytime that you've like got to meet somebody in in in-person podcasts are fun but once you have like a relationship and rapport with them you'll you'll hear it on the podcast Uh, going back and forth is always tons of fun and so i hope you guys enjoy this one i know you will um you know thank you as always for listening All right, everybody, Adam, back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And, uh, I mean, I find myself in a very vulnerable position here. I'm with uh, Aaron Ritter in a hotel room. He's got his leg off. He's got a beer. He's sitting on the edge of the bed looking at me.
2: Silkies are prepped on the pillow. Yeah,
1: this is not not good. He's got me in the corner.
2: Um, Some people would know them as ranger panties, and I'm about to pull them all the way up.
1: (laughs) But... um, yeah, we're here at the uh for the HHA event. Um it's one of their HHA USA mission uh shoots. Uh, we mission are Mission 24. Mission 24. The biggest mission in history. Okay. All right. Well, not only is he a Navy historian, but he's also a HHA USA historian, uh Aaron Ritter. We're sitting here basically uh in the Vortex parking lot. There was uh an event you know, kinda of thank the veterans and uh, give us a tour of the Vortex facility today. And uh, that was it was pretty cool. Uh pretty pretty nice event there put on by the, the fellows at HHA. And uh you can't go anywhere with uh Aaron without a handler. So we've got his handler, uh Chris Dunlap here. And uh he's he's sitting in on the podcast to keep uh to keep Aaron in line. Keep his Ranger panties on. <laughs> so um but how you been since the last time uh, we spoke? Really good, Adam. Yeah, it's
2: been. Uh, was it? Was it? It's been a, over a year. Yeah. Cause well, a year since we've been on a podcast together. We've interacted on phone, text.
1: Yeah, yeah. We we've kept in touch, but um. Yeah, I should have went to ATA this year. It was a real. That was pretty much my bad. Um trying to and it was good you know i was i was being a good dad and uh we we were leaving on vacation and and i didn't we were leaving that next monday and ata typically goes like thursday friday saturday sunday and then we're flying out monday so i was like oh i'll work that weekend i'll be around home so i can see my daughter before we go and uh yeah it turns out ata was like tuesday to thursday or something so so i had all the time off i should have just went that was just poor planning uh on my part, but, uh,
2: it was a good ATA.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, so you're a fellow, uh, latitude, uh, guy, you know, we've picked them up as a, as a sponsor. We've had a long relationship with, with latitude and finally, um, bit the bullet and just had to, you know, kind of had to make a decision there and, um, you know, love those guys to death. And of course, when they win their biggest award and, you know, all this stuff, uh, I'm not there to to celebrate with you guys. So that that was a bummer for me. You know, but I got to live vicariously through you guys. So, how how was that? Like what was the environment and everything like from the first year that you were there with Latitude to to year 2 when the when the sticks came out and all that?
2: It was uh it was very similar, yet a little bit different. So, it was similar in the fact that it still took an incredible amount of time to get the booth up. Yeah. And the booth was a lot simpler this year than it was last year, but you know, um Latitude fashion. Jake had to make a, a run to either Lowe's or Home Depot or True Value. Name a name a box hardware store because he needed something. And Alex was being very particular about how he wanted all the boxes staged. And the rest of us just worked and looked real good and talked to people about how high of quality the Latitude saddles were, even when we were setting up the, the booth. And then the rest of the time, it was it was I mean just a lot of laughing great conversation them winning the, the the number one spot and the uh, and the equipment competition this year was incredible. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on that but when you look at saddle hunting the saddle hunting industry and everybody thinks that it is so new yet those of us that are historians know that it's not um, they have had saddle companies and saddle equipment now win two years in a row at the ATA. Uh, but to, to not to get into that right away, um, or if at all, it was different in the fact that, you know, the year prior, we were all like animal house style in a multi level air Airbnb. And this time we were on site in the hotels scattered in different rooms that changed it a little bit. Um, I will say that there was a, there was some nostalgia, 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 <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Greg Litzinger and I were roomies again okay. this last year, so it was there was a good mix of of previous year old and some new stuff for for this ATA. It's great time overall. I think the ATA for this year was better than than the prior year, and
1: that's probably because John and I weren't there. I mean,
2: no, we were all like <laughs> we were all legitimately disappointed.
1: Yeah, that's one of, you know, I feel bad for like Latitude and for, you know, like Zinger uh, when I was in Harrisburg and they say, oh, well, you do great. You know, you do everything. But I, I mean, I literally go there and it's like a family reunion. You get to see all your buddies like Aaron is like legit. Selling stuff, he's swinging from the poles. He's like, Come, check this out. He's had a lot of experience with that. Yeah, he's like a a carnival freak show. Like, Come on, come on, come all, see the amazing (laughs) latitude saddle, the one legged, one sticking tree swinger guy. Like, that you're there to get people in front of the booth. And I'm talking to different guys from different companies, and I'm talking, you know, I'm networking my balls off and so i feel like i don't do anything for them you know and they're like no no it's great we love having you i'm like i don't really do i'm not the circus attraction i don't i don't do anything i mean i i can i can speak on your products like incredibly and i do that to you know anybody that that wants to know about it but i'm not there i'm not your hype man you know i'm not the we we got a guy for that and uh, he's sitting right here
2: (laughs) so um I do typically talk to people until I'm hoarse. Yeah, and we appreciate that
1: because we were frankly sick of hearing you by the end of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but at Harrisburg, I was hoarse by the end of day one. Well, that was super loud in there—the the amount of people. Um, but that was a fun. That was a fun show. That was my first time at Harrisburg, um, and I, it sucks that we were on opposite weekends yeah. there too. Like as soon as I flew in, you flew out. Um, but but yeah, that was cool because I think I like a consumer show more than an industry show. I think with I think this year was probably a bit different with the buzz around the sticks and trying to explain to people like what what it is, how it works, but you know, my my style is, you know, when someone comes up at a consumer show like I can I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character and I can look at people and I can say, "Okay, I I can tell this guy's hunting style a little bit like" And so I'll be like, okay, well, what's your hunting setup right now? And then they they tell me, you know, at, at the ATA show, it's like, well, I'm sponsored by this guy and this guy, or, you know, I'm I'm a buyer for this and we already carry this one. So it's it's that's not really my element, but like talking to people about like how I think something can help them or if it can help them, you know, if they've got a really good solid setup and they're looking to change something I'm like you have to have a problem before I can solve it. Right. And Correct. if you come and a lot of people just want to come in and compare the different stuff. And so I like a consumer show a little bit better from, from that end. um,
2: But, but yeah, that, that, that Harrisburg show was, was cool. One of my favorite parts about Harrisburg this year was disappointing was Latitude was not in the main archery building. However, I think there was some benefit to that. I really enjoyed having people that either had saddle hunting experience or people that had never seen it before, but they knew about it and they were coming to the show to try to get their hands on saddle gear. And they would find Latitude away from everybody else, and you could chat with them without having this the distraction of seeing other archery equipment or other saddle booths within view. You had their full attention from a saddle scene, and you could show them everything, talk to them about saddles, and I encouraged every single person to leave the Latitude booth and go back to the archery hall and put their hands on and sit in every other saddle they could over there, and the majority of those people came back to Latitude. And that was so much fun.
1: Well, and that's the, you know, at any point where you can get like the Mobile Hunter Roadshow or um, Mobile Hunter Expo, rather, Mobile Hunter Roadshow is completely different. That's a a very product forward um, experience. Yes. Um, The Mobile Hunting Expo, you know. Last year, all those guys were there for like the same reason. So it was, it was kind of an echo chamber, but there was a lot of people that were there for the first time. And I think that's the best benefit of going to something like that, where there's going to be multiple saddle companies because it's, it's twofold, right? You're going to get into a room where you're going to see all of the saddles side by side by side, but then also, and I, maybe this is a a, a way to buy product. Maybe it's not. But you can see what kind of people are in the booth, what kind of culture they have, like what kind of vibe. And maybe they're maybe that's what sells you on it is the is the people and is the culture. You know, and and I love um, Latitude. I love the guys at at Latitude and, you know, and there's some saddle companies that I really don't like. Um, There's some that I think make bad products. There's some that I think are just bad people. Um, there's some things that I agree with some things that I don't, but like, you know, I'd never, I, I have like all the saddles and that buzzard roof saddle is super comfortable and it's, it's a great product, but going there to that show and meeting Benny and like that crew over there, like if you decided like that, because you liked those guys and their jambalaya and their vibe, like more power to you, right? Like those are. Great people, and I think when you go to a show, you get to see kind of who comes up and talks to you, who just glosses you off, who's there for themselves, and who's there to actually
2: um, help you. And um, I feel the same way about Trophy Line. Yeah, if I was not a Latitude guy, I would probably be with Trophy Line. Yeah, because they're just their crew is incredible,
1: right? And and you you get that, and you know, I'm I mean, this isn't like. I don't like tethered because I mean, I like I'm friends with a lot of those guys. I'm friends with, you know, some of the guys that were in the Wild Edge booth and all of that. But I think there's like very distinct like cultures of the people. And I think that that's like super, super cool. And that that's almost as important to me as i mean it's like your deer camp right like there's some people that you want to share a camp with and there's some people that you don't
2: that's a great and, analogy
1: and i think like being able to go there because buying a saddle from any saddle company in that environment is a couple of uh is like twofold like i said but and in that moment Every saddle is going to feel like the most comfortable saddle because you've got very knowledgeable people putting you in the saddle and adjusting it for you. The difference is going to be when you get home and you're like, this thing sucks. Why does it suck? You know, like, how do you how do you go from there? And, and I try to explain that to people. is like, like, look, I, and this is not the Aaron Ritter way of selling a saddle. But like, I'll get somebody set up in a saddle and then I'll say, OK, get down and I'll mess with it. And then I'll say, now you spend five minutes in it by yourself and adjust it because I'm not always going to be here for you. You know, I want you to know that this is, you know, the way. And I think, I think that goes a long way, you know, rather than just saying like, let me get you set up. And like, this is the way that, or the saying, this is the way that I do it is the right way. Cause I do it different than you do it. Different than John does it. And, and I think that that's the value in like being able to see all those things all at once. Well, right? the, the other advantage to, Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone, and Vitalized Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. Vitalized Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed, make biology work for you. Order now at vitalizeseed.com.
3: Harrisburg like Aaron and I were talking about when he was driving back you know one of the best things about that compared to ATA is you can walk in you can look at everything and you can buy it and walk out versus ATA you go in, you look at it oh great it'll be out in six months put your pre-order in and then you go home and you, you don't have anything
1: mm-hmm. yeah and I, that's one of the things I've been trying to talk to the Latitude guys about Like, like what you said about Trophy Line their business sense is amazing like them Being like, all right, we're going to launch this platform at ATA, but it's going to go live on the website that day, too. It was, like, huge. Because, you know, us as consumers, we feel like we're missing out because we can't go to the ATA show. We can't get our hands on this, like, knowing full well that, you know, we may never even see a product that even resembles this. I mean, that's that's one of the realities.
3: Which has has happened. Yes. Yes. There's There's stuff that, that comes out of ATA every year that never makes it to the product line.
1: Right. And and that's and that's the the thing. And and so by by having something ready for the consumer, I mean it 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 feels like more inclusive there. But um, yeah, to me that my ability of like the the networking and stuff like that, I'm way better at like a consumer show because those are what I would consider like my people. You know, that's it's I, a I just good love time.
2: It. it really is a good time. But So, what's the name? We are in Barnevald. Really? Barnevald, Wisconsin. Eh? Yeah. Where they sell, like, local cheese in the Quick Stop gas station. Yeah? They don't have that in oh, Virginia? No. no, they have 7-Elevens. Okay. Roller food.
1: Oh. Yeah, well, sometimes you got to see what's rolling at 2 in the morning. You know, there's not a whole lot. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you...
2: Adam, I you know I don't I don't stay out. I'm not up and about at two in the morning anymore. Like I've told you in the past, those days are long gone for me.
1: Yeah. Well, we used to have a a buddy that lived downtown Chicago. Like I went to school outside of Chicago, and uh, you know he lived right next to the Seven Eleven, and you had to just sometimes you had to go in and see what was rolling for you. <laughs> went up to the apartment. You know, that's awesome. That's that's, that's how I look at it. So uh, shifting gears here a little bit, like you just came off of uh, you know so. It's turkey season. We haven't really been covering a whole lot of turkey hunting on here. Um just because Michigan seasons are so weird and um we're we're hunting the later seasons. Um uh, John's been out a couple times and uh I'm going to get out this next weekend. Uh maybe may, I may get out next week um and and try and help some people get on some birds, but uh you just came off of like we had a real great conversation over in the the Vortex Hall there about your turkey hunt and like what you did this year. So uh kind of outline the the premise
2: of the whole thing like why would anybody want to do what you did All right. Well, I was trying to shift the gear to talk about why we're here in Wisconsin, but holy cow, twist my arm and talk about turkey hunting. I'm in. Let's do it. So, growing up in the Northwest, I like hunting big country. And I started back country hunting in the 90s before it was the big rage. And it was just hunting It was. And and a lot of people looked at what I was doing. Like I was nuts. Like, why would you do that? It's like, well, because it's pretty awesome. And now living on the East coast and watching, you know, the, the media explosion of backcountry hunting and how popular it is and, and elk hunting. I grew up doing that as well. And I mean, elk hunting is just incredible, but you have to go out West to do that. And so when you're East of the Mississippi, Everybody is thinking backcountry hunting is on the other side of that river and you have to travel all the way out there to do it. And this year I made the decision that I was going to try to spend a little more time hunting in my state of residence now, which is Virginia. Uh, next year will probably be Maryland, but I'm going to focus on those two states and try to do a little bit less of spending all of my time hunting again, out west. So I started looking at the George Washington National Forest and figuring out how I can take my passion for the backcountry and put it in my backyard in a much more heavily populated region of the, of the United States. So I did that. And I did it turkey hunting. Now, <clears throat> I have a huge amount of respect for some of the big name backcountry elk hunters that are right now, controlling the media scene. I love them. I mean, there are some people that are sharing incredible information and, and some people are throwing stones at them because they feel like they're giving out secrets and that they're saturating that region of, and that, that area of hunting and bringing so many people into it, which I think is wonderful. Let's, let's promote that. But they have the mentality of backcountry elk hunting and elk hunting in general is there's nothing else like it. And they'll, they'll tell you that Turkey hunting is not like elk hunting. And I'm, I'm in disagreeance, Adam. Now I'm, I'm just a one legged hunter that likes to wear Badlands camo and, and do my thing. Right. You know, I don't, I don't have, you know, double digit thousand followers and and make money doing this. But what I've learned from my past and what I did this year was a backcountry turkey hunt. I can tell you hands down that outside of harvesting a like six to 700 pound animal and then having to process it and get it out back to the truck. I did everything this last April in the backcountry hunting turkeys and it was like I was out west hunting elk. I had so much fun, man. I spent hours e-scouting. I spent all the time prepping my gear. We, and I took a brand new turkey hunter. He had never been turkey hunting a day in his life. So I introduced him to turkey calling. Uh, we watched a lot of videos together. I introduced him to e-scouting. Um, he had never really been on a backcountry hunt. So I introduced him to all the gear. We put all of his parts and pieces together. We would meet every Wednesday evening at my house, and we would watch videos. We would practice calling. We would do all those things together. We went on a, on a pre-scouting trip. We packed in and spent a couple of nights out in the backcountry. Uh, we threw out a canvas uh, or, or a net of trail cams and logged like eight, nine miles a day for a couple of days up there doing our thing, just like you would on a backcountry elk hunt. And then three weeks later, after season opened, we went back in and we did a four-day, three-night turkey hunt, and just had a blast. Now, did not fill a tag. It was, so it was just like an elk hunt. It was <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much. <laughs> yeah. We were thick into the birds, and it was uh, we didn't fill a tag not because of a lack of try. You didn't want to pack it out; it was too far. Oh man, I tell you what, it was. Uh, have you ever really considered packing out a whole bird in one trip with your camp? Man, it it's you're spent. No, it was. Uh, it was. It I was, need
1: two legs for it that. It was
2: one. a mixture of uh There was a couple of things that that were thrown our way. Uh, we had several shot opportunities. I will say, I started turkey hunting in I think two thousand and one, and outside of harvesting my first bird with my dad my dad called in my first turkey for me Um, outside of that trip i think that weekend was the most fun i've ever had turkey hunting and it was it's his name is nick and i call him east coast nick east coast nick was an absolute pleasure to share the backcountry with and he had so much interest and was an absolute sponge, not just in turkey hunting. He's really getting into archery and deer hunting. And he, it was just days of questions and, hey, why are we doing this? And why are you thinking that? And wow. I'm starting to see, like you were telling me all of this stuff on why we were e-scouting on. This is where we will probably see deer sign and we'll probably see this type of deer sign here. or This is why I would want to hunt here or this is where I think we're going to see turkeys. And then we're out actually having eyes on and looking at all of our waypoints that we had dropped while we were e-scouting and verifying that, yep, this is what we're seeing here. This is why we're here looking at this and uh, just soaking it all up. That, during
3: that process, you were telling me. You didn't just throw the information at him and this is the only way you gave him homework Absolutely. each week to to come up with his own plans and then come back to you and say here here's what I think what do you think We did that too and, and then we talked through the the why's and why nots And it's more of a that was more of a mentorship than just a lesson You know it, you weren't just te- you weren't just telling him your way and that's the way it's going to be you were letting him think outside of his own box and, and bounce it off of somebody with some experience in the
2: backcountry, And that, that made, that put a twist on this hunt as well. Doing it with somebody that was brand new to it, it. It was very enjoyable and rewarding for me. But, um, I called in so many birds. There was, there was one afternoon, well, late morning, cause you could only hunt till noon on that portion of the, the season in Virginia from 1030 to noon on the second to the last day was pure chaos. It was absolutely ridiculous. We would work one bird and we worked him for well over 30 to 45 minutes and, and then watched him go on up the hill, couldn't get a shot on him. I had a 60 yard shot at him and I know that, I know that my, my setup was capable of that. If I had a clear open shot, I had a lot of saplings in front of me and I, I was afraid I was going to put too much of my my pellets in through the trees to, to make an ethical 60 yard shot on that
1: bird. Well, and I think that that's kind of there had to have been like another layer to that being with a new hunter, because if if on your first turkey hunt, you're out there with your expert guide and you're shooting birds, shooting at birds at 60 yards, you're thinking that
2: that's OK. Correct. And also. I didn't, I really didn't want to be the guy to pull the trigger either. So there was, there was several aspects of that, Adam, you're 100% correct. So we watched that bird go up over the hill and, um, I, uh, I s- crawled down to where he was at and I said, okay, Hey, check it out. This is what we can do. I know where he's going and, and there's hens. You, we can either use their topography and we can try to move up on them and make a play or we just let them soak and we come back up here tomorrow and get them. And he he said, "How much time do we have?" And I said, "Well, we've you know we, we've got about forty five minutes to an hour before it's closing time." He's like, "I want to go. I want to go get them. Let's go get them." So we left the packs. We we dropped the waypoint on our packs, and we used the drainages and the and the contour lines to to make a play on them. And we worked that bird going up the going up the mountain, and that bird finally went silent. <clears throat> And, uh, I walk over to him again. I'm like, all right, man, I, I think that's pretty much it. I said, I, I don't think we should keep pushing him. I think we should probably head back down and get our packs and and we're going to make our way back to camp. And another Tom fired off and he said, Nope, I think I want to stay right here. (laughs) So we were, (laughs) we were on one side of a big deadfall and I right on, I said, just crawl right over the side of this deadfall. We're going to set up right here. We're going to pull this bird right up to us. And we had hens All over us. And uh, unfortunately, we we had this Tom coming in on a string and a hen came in. And again, you know, he's breaking his teeth. And I kept trying to tell him, you can't move. You cannot move, especially when they're starting to come into range. Had a hen at seven yards and she busted him. And once and when she the cool part was she just didn't blow out. Squawking. She stopped, got real nervous, started doing some putting, and then she just did a big half circle around us. And it put the brakes on that Tom and he stayed right on the other side of the hill. He was less than fifty yards from us, but he was right over the crest. Couldn't see him. I was listening to him spit and drum. And that was that's a whole nother part of the story out of the car door. This really cool. But um, listen to that bird spit and drum for a half an hour and gobble and spit and drum and gobble. He wouldn't come any closer because that hen had made her alarm and maneuver around us. So for him, he thought there was another hen over there, but he also knew that something had kind of spooked that hen a bit. So he didn't want to come any closer. And we we burned up our time until noon and, and he ended up just, you know, following the hens out. But we had several moments like that through the trip that were just crazy. That hour and a half was nuts, man. I I called in so many turkeys in that hour and a half, hens and toms both. It was ridiculous. But let's talk about the spit and drum. How, how often have you heard turkeys spit and drum?
1: So one of my favorite turkey hunting stories is so much fun. Um, so we've out behind where uh, my father-in-law, Uncle Frank, where he lives, we killed tons of turkeys. It's one pine tree. I mean, it's it, there's this little field, and you just it doesn't matter the time of day. Like, if you put in time, like you can kill turkeys. Or I killed the first turkeys that I've ever killed, uh, calling them in myself, um, was right there. But we brought my I'd already killed the turkey, brought my wife out there. Uh, we're imagine like a white pine tree, it's, um, say, you know, eight feet around, and We're on one side facing the decoys. Her dad's on the other side facing 180 degrees the other way. And he's calling and his turkey's gobbling, coming in, coming in, coming in. And uh, then all of a sudden it goes quiet. And then he's not calling anymore. And we're sitting there and my wife, she hasn't. And okay, here's another thing. So she hasn't turkey hunted, but. Two, three times in her lifetime, she's in one of the Cabela's vests where she's strapped into the the seat. You know, so she she's not real mobile. She's set up to shoot right in front of her. She's left-handed, and she's set up to shoot. You know, from you know, say six o'clock to nine o'clock. There's a big branch that comes out at ten o'clock. And we're sitting there. There's no no more gobbles, no more calling from Frank, and it's just. And we're sitting there, and she's like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "He's really close." And she's like, "I don't know." And she's strapped into this vest, and she's like, "I can't turn, I can't turn." And he got like all the way out, just about to the end of that, that branch, far enough. Frank hits go, <laughs> gobble. Well, she jumped about three feet in the air because <laughs> she didn't think that was a turkey. She like nearly shed her pants, you know. And that turkey, you know, he just turned the other way, and so he started working be- way back to Frank, and we're trying to un—I'm trying to unclip her without moving. I mean, this turkey's like, you know, six, seven yards away. Oh, I love it. Big time, and she's freaking out. I you know? love it. And so trying to unclip it, and then he ended up just working off, and Frank, like, by the time the turkey wa- walked off, he's like, what are you guys doing? He's like, I fully expected a barrel to come right past my head, and just, you know, like, we couldn't get turned around. <laughs> you know, so I've I'm familiar with the sound.
2: (laughs) So where I cut my teeth, turkey hunting was in Washington state and I hunted Merriam's mostly, but I did some Rio's as well. Had never heard a bird spit and drum in the wild. And I've been hunting on the, on the East coast for a few years now. And I've, I've always watched YouTube videos of spit and drum. I've never heard it in the wild. And I mean, a gobble on YouTube sounds like a gobble. Uh, a bugle on YouTube <clears throat> sounds like a bugle. Capturing a spit and drum on a camera and a mic out in the wild and, and really knowing what it sounds like is it's different. So we're, we're morning one on the hunt, and we're way up this Finger Canyon. <clears throat> and we ended up all the way at the uh, – At the top of the top, the head of the canyon. And we had put on some miles that day. And it was about 1030 in the morning. And it was several miles to get back down to the to the opening of the canyon. And I said, hey, man, I really think that we should probably just sit down. Let's throw out a decoy set (laughs) because we had three decoys with us. And I said, let's just sit down and just call. And maybe we'll get a satellite tom to come in, so that's what we did. We got all set up, and I started throwing out some hen calls, and I started hearing a car door like a muff a faint muffled car door I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking man we're we're like six six and a half miles from a trailhead, and any other trails in that area um, would be. All the way up on top of the ridge of the main canyon trails. And you can't, even, you can't have ATVs or side-by-sides on it. And so I'm racking my brain at them. I'm like, how am I hearing car doors? This is nuts. Well, then a hen fires off. And so I start working this hen. And this this was a lot of fun for East Coast Nick, because he had seen guys work hens. He well seen he had watched them on YouTube. And I had this hen. This hen and I went back and forth for probably thirty minutes. Could not get her to come in. Man, I tried. I was pounding her. And the entire time that I'm working this hen, I keep hearing a car door off in the distance. I'm just. What is the deal? So we find noon hits. I'm like, okay, we're done. And by that time, I mean, we had put in probably seven, seven and a half miles on our, and we still had to go three or so miles back to camp. And my, my one foot was hurting. My stump was tired and there was a really nice spring head. 150 yards from us with a really cool nice little pool and slate rocks all around. So I went and grabbed Nick and I said, "Hey man, we're going to pick up our decoy set and we're going to go over and sit in the creek, soak our feet, make some top ramen and have a snack and chat and laugh and have fun. Then we're going to start making our way back to camp." So we're down there sitting in the creek, soaking our feet, and I and I asked him, I said, "Hey man, did you hear that car door?" He's like, "No." Now, granted, Leading up to this, I had heard grouse drumming the day before and the hike in and everything. He couldn't hear that. He's apparently tone deaf to those really low tones. So I knew he couldn't hear grouse drumming. And I told him, I said, man, I have been hearing a car door shut the entire time we were sitting there. It's driving me nuts. So we, you know, spent our time there, packed back to camp and relaxed a little bit. Went out, roosted birds, did a little more scouting. And, um, then we're sitting out there on that, out on that, uh, that finger ridge playing with those toms. And I was hearing car doors again. And that first bird at 1030, when that, that gobbler gobbled below us and we got set up, started hearing the car door. And as that Tom worked up the sidewall, of the Canyon towards me and that car door, kept getting louder and louder and louder. That's when I started putting the pieces together. I was like, I'm hearing my first spit and drum. That was a cool thing for me because that was a first (laughs) and it's, that's what I, one of the things I love about the outdoors. If you stop experiencing firsts and, or you stop learning, then you're, 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 you need to make a change. And that was exciting for me. And those two Toms between 1030 and noon, those two Toms. The amount of spit and drum that they threw at us was incredible. It was almost nonstop, both of them, mm-hmm. for an hour and a half, just nonstop. It it was cool. So
1: n- knowing that now in that they were spit drumming, right? So, that, so that that's what was happening. So in hindsight, what would you have done differently knowing that that was a Tom close enough to – To hear them spit drum.
2: Um, You mean that the prior hunt when we were at the head of the canyon? I 100% would have made a play on that bird. 100%. They were, they couldn't have been more than 100, 150 yards from us. However, where we were at, we could have easily made a play on those birds. So that was, again, big learning lesson for me. You can, you can cover ground and you can get in position on a bird in an hour and a half if you do it right. So, I, I want to play. And again, let's go back to elk hunting. Very similar to, you have that last hour of daylight, and that one bugle fires off, and you and you you make you look at your Garmin or your map system, whatever you're using. Name your favorite Spartan Forge Onyx Go Hunt base map. Base map. You name your favorite. You you look at that mapping mechanism. And you go through the calculated risks saying, can I get set up on that animal in my last hour of, of hunting time? And then you make a move. Sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's better to let them soak and go back the next day. Sometimes it's better to just throw it all in and go at them. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Sure. I, I want to play devil's advocate on the whole idea of a, a backcountry
1: turkey hunt. where Because I, I, I love it. I mean – It seems like a perfect, and when we talk about this a lot, like in our Patreon group, like we talk about, you know, if you want to travel for a a turkey hunt, or we're planning twenty twenty four Montana spring bear, and you don't have to spend a thousand dollars on an elk tag or draw one or to get that experience out there in the mountains, you know, that's that's all great and well and good. However, the the thing is. Is if you can only hunt until noon, like that's a lot of time with your finger up your butt sitting on the canyon. I mean, unless you're saying, Okay, well I'm gonna scout for deer, I'm gonna scout for bear, I'm gonna scout for, for something else, or you're just a granola hiker for the rest of the, the day. I mean so that's, let's, a, that's a lot of
2: let, that's let a lot me of break time. it down for you. So for a, for a hardcore turkey hunter, let's look at your day mm-hmm. during season. You get up balls early Mm -hmm. so you can get, you can navigate to where you want to be. Hopefully under red light or no light, you maybe take a nap. Sun comes up, birds start making noises in the, in the roost. They come down, you make a play, you hunt till noon. Then you go back to the car, you go home, have a snack, do whatever. You drive back, you hike back in, you roost birds. You come out in the dark, you drive home, you get some sleep, get up balls early, you go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. What we did was we put ourselves out right into the mix. So, yeah, we had a lull through the afternoon where from, from noon until around five. So, we had about a five-hour period where we can't hunt. However, when we finished hunting on the, on the day that I heard my first spit drum, for instance – we were a solid three miles from camp. So you, you stop hunting at noon. We burned up 30 to 45 minutes soaking in the creek, having a snack, put all of our stuff together. And then we hiked off. It was off trail under pack load for three miles back to camp. So by the time you get back to camp, now you've cut that five hour span down. You re-cock gear, relax a little bit, talk. Then you, Figure out okay where are we going to go roost birds tonight? So then you hike back out, you go roost birds, you come back to camp in the dark, have a late dinner, get things ready, go to bed, get up early, and go back and chase the birds. So no, I don't think you're wasting time. Um, and then we were we were also scouting for deer because I'm in a backcountry deer hunt that area as well. So it's twofold. It's a really interesting way to turkey hunt it's outside of the turkey hunting mold you're no longer you know sleeping in your car sleeping in a hotel sleeping in an airbnb or if you live in an area where you can hunt from home you're not going home to be at your single living with somebody married doesn't matter you're going home doing whatever you do at home and then going back out maybe roosting birds and then hunting again the next morning hands down the most fun I've had on a turkey hunt. Now I like backcountry hunting. I, I don't care if I if I have yard work to do, or if you know somebody's like, hey, we're going to go on a bike ride today, or maybe I'm supposed to go run for the day and it's raining. I'll find every reason not to go out and hang out in the rain when I'm just living everyday life. When I'm out in the backcountry, rain doesn't bother me. For me, it's part of the experience. So you have the gear to keep yourself warm and, and be, you know, enjoy it. And it's just, it's kind of like, it is what it is. Hey, it's going to be hot and sunny today. Okay, well, I'm going to sweat it up and be warm and drink more water. And this is what we're going to do back country today. Or wow, today we're going to get rain. Okay, well, we're just going to get wet today. It is what it is. It's a whole new experience. The woods is different in that environment. It's all part of the adventure for me. It's far more enjoyable than it is for me traveling back and forth from the field to the house and back every day. Um, well, I you know, love you're it. not wasting that time driving back and forth. No, and and one of the evenings we were in camp and we're we were talking about hey let's we're gonna we're gonna take a quick nap and then we'll get up we'll have a an, a late afternoon snack. And then around five o'clock, we'll head out and, and go sit down and, and roost birds. Because the first night we were in there, we didn't hear our first gobble until eight o'clock at night. The next night, so we're, it's like, all right, five o'clock, we'll bust out of camp and, and heads, head down to an area and, and listen for gobbles. Five o'clock, had a Tom fire off probably two, 300 yards right out of our spike camp. It's like we're sitting there. In our little packable chairs, looking at each other like, are you kidding me right now? That bird gobbled nonstop for an hour as we're sitting in camp. That doesn't happen when you hunt from home because you're not out in the woods at five o'clock at night. You're somewhere else thinking you're not going to go back into the woods until, you know, it's maybe an hour from sundown. And so this was another learning lesson for, for Nick. We had already came, we had, we already had our game plan for the following day. So we were going to move maneuver over to that area to try to roost birds in that. And it was, we were going to was about a mile and a half out. So we're sitting at camp, listen to this, listen to this bird, just, just losing his, his, his head. And, uh, we packed up our stuff and we marched out about six o'clock. And we went and we sat down, we're sitting down on a log waiting for birds to start firing off. And we heard one. Um, so this canyon was a, it was a Y-shaped canyon. So at the trailhead, you had the main canyon and then it split. And we went to go, we were, we were going to go hunt the other, the other leg of the canyon. And we're sitting there for a little bit waiting. We heard one fire off down the canyon, for, <clears throat> down the main canyon. And I'm, and I'm looking at Nick and I said, Hey, I'm going to teach you a valuable lesson tonight about hunting. He's like, what's that? And I said, we're, we're just, let's get packed up and head back to camp and we're going to have a normal dinner tonight and chill out and have fun and camping and get a good night's sleep. And he's like, well, I thought we were going to roost birds here. And I said, no, we're making a big mistake right now. He's like, why? I said, because we are leaving turkeys to go find turkeys. We don't do that. That's dumb. That's rookie. So just get yourself packed up and, and let's head back to camp. And I was like, tomorrow morning, we're going to hike up this forest service trail up on top of this, this, this main ridgeline, go down on, and um, start hunting the brakes. And that's where we're going to be in the morning. We're going to go kill the turkey tomorrow. And that's when we had that epic late morning up there with all those birds. So that you, there was a valuable lesson in that as well. So I, that's a, that's a long answer to your question, Adam, um, playing that devil's advocate is like, Hey, are you, is it really worth your time? One hundred percent worth your time,
1: yeah, I mean uh, like i say for for myself, um, I haven't gone out of state to hunt turkeys, and there's an abundance of turkeys, and I'm fully comfortable like going in and finding a turkey somewhere, like it it just to me, when people from like out of state or I watch people like struggle, I'm like, I just don't understand. <laughs> You know, but, you know, Frankie, they just were in Nashville. And he said, you know what I learned driving from Nashville to Michigan? He said, there ain't a fucking turkey between here and there. Because (laughs) he's like, we drove by so many fields and I didn't see one until we hit the Indiana border. And then I seen two hands out in the field. So, I mean, I kind of get it that it's, you know, we just we've got so many turkeys that. But if
3: if, uh, the devil's advocate of your deal. If you're always going out behind Uncle Frank's farm and shooting at the same birds
1: or calling at the same birds, what new stuff are you learning? Oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you there. But I think, and we hunt all over. Yeah, um, that's just like one of the we we talk about it a lot uh, amongst our like Patreon group and all that stuff is like, you know. Michigan, Southern Michigan, Western Michigan, there's just a huge population of turkeys. And if you have any private land at all, like it's basically shooting fish in a barrel. Um, And that's why we're hunting the May season where we can hunt private if we have to. But I really enjoy going out on public and like, especially in May, like the the further we get into our season, the more vegetation we have, the harder it is to to hear them to, you know, so you kind of got to. Play the game, and I, I really do um, enjoy that. But I, I completely agree with you. But we just have so many turkeys, even on the public, um, that that's the that's the fun part um, to me. And so f- f- for your your thing, I, I just think about like um, so we have a lot of guys that you know think that it's too expensive, or to your point, as you started out saying, well there's too much competition out there for Western hunts now. And, you know, you can't go anywhere without running into guys. And, you know, I mean, I've been out there. I'm it's, that's true. Uh, in all the, not all the spots, but the spots that I've gone, um, you know, I've, I've had it both ways. I've had the entire mountain to myself for a week and I couldn't go 200 yards without running into a dude. So it's, it's, it's real and it's kind of like how much you put into it, but, if you were going to say, "All right, I want to put the money into the gear, put the money into the take the time away from my family to go hunt, and then only to be able to hunt till noon," it's like, man, I would pick a different state. I'd pick another. <laughs> I'd pick another side of the damn I, uh, you know, state I, line where I could hunt a little bit
2: longer. I enjoyed every minute of it, and <clears throat> I, I wanted him to experience something that that a lot of the most people never have, right? And the other thing too is I like backpacking. I like backcountry hunting and I don't want it to be only a seven to 10 day period on whatever year I can draw an elk tag and spend thousands of dollars to go out West to do it. So I'm in a backcountry turkey hunt and I'm in a backcountry deer hunt. There's a lot of guys don't backcountry deer hunt either. And that we found some sign back there in this canyon, uh, well, these canyons, where there's deer hunting back there. And that's awesome. Um, and we found some really old, like, horse camp sign. I think at some point, horses were allowed to go in there. I think now it's foot traffic or there are some mountain biking trails as well. But there's guys that are pack- they're walking in four, six miles, and they're sitting in a tree stand. And then they're going to walk four to six miles back out to their car. And I'm just thinking, if I have a passion for that backcountry experience, why don't I just paint that picture to a deer hunt in the George Washington National Forest? It's a very similar experience. I get to play with my gear. I'm exercising a lot of the similar tactics and things that you do in preparation for a big western backcountry hunt. And why not do it for a turkey? Um, Three nights... Almost four complete days of hunting, we saw one other dude. We never heard a gunshot. And you're and, four hours from the house. <laughs> and driving four hours yeah. from my home to get there. There's, there is very limited people that would be willing to do that. But I will tell you this, in the planning process of this, through the execution process of this, now to the post-hunt of sharing what I did in my experience – I have had multiple people. One of them is a professional turkey hunter that is foot mashed on the gas pedal of Aaron. I want to do this with you. Can this year, next year, I want to do this. I'm, I'm terrible with names, Adam. What was that gentleman's name that um, I met tonight through you that was in that group? Uh, uh the, the stocky guy in the red shirt, Joe guy. Higginbotham, Joe, what was his response to me? I want to connect with you and do this. This sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. It's a whole new spin. I will highly encourage anybody to do it. And it's not, it's not riding your bicycle in and spending a hunt and then riding your bicycle back out. It is putting your life on your back, just like you do out West and going out and just having a great time. So Take take an airplane bottle of your favorite sip you know i i had some fireball with me we sat in camp and sipped some fireball and oh. told stories uh i already told you we ripped podcast out there just had a blast it was uh it was worth every minute man
1: so um on that on that note um who do you recommend to to try this i mean like so i mean the obvious answer would be like i think everybody should do this it's the greatest thing however What I, what I wonder is like, so for like, uh, who is your, your, your perfect candidate for this backcountry hunt?
2: Uh, Man, I think that's a loaded question. Well, that's why Why? I do this. Yeah. I
3: mean, I would say if you're, if you've always wanted to go on a true backcountry hunt out west. But aren't quite sure of yourself, your capabilities, your gear. Um, maybe you don't have the finances right yep. now to do it. You didn't get drawn. You name it. Well, here's something you can do for a fraction of the cost. See if it's something you like. Correct. Before you invest go invest the time go, and money, go balls deep and, and off the cliff buying everything and going out west when you can just, hey, I'm going to pack up this weekend, even if you're only spending one night. Correct.
2: You can you can get in the kiddie pool, so to speak. Yep. Anthony Fiorilli, this morning, threw out a term that I'm going to steal right now. I'm guilty. <laughs> yeah. Guilty as charged. Anthony really of um, First Contact Outdoors, he used the term um, barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. If you think that you want to go on a backcountry elk hunt and you're going to spend the time putting in for points – or putting in for the draw, trying to get that elk tag. And then you're going to get the equipment and you're going to learn how to e-scout, put all the parts and pieces together. If you're unsure about that, but you have an interest, then go on a backcountry turkey hunt. And that is going to give you a really good idea if it's something that you want to invest time and money in. Because… Um, <clears throat> it's not you know, for everybody. It, it's, it's not. It's not for everybody. And Corey Jacobson, man, I love you and I love our communication together, but I 100% disagree with you. Backcountry turkey hunting, it's dang close to backcountry elk hunting and it's a gas. Yeah, it is. It's great. Um, The other thing too is if you're an experienced turkey hunter and you want to do something different, get out of the same groove, go on a backcountry turkey hunt. I, I am looking forward to taking other people out on this adventure and introducing them to a new style of turkey hunting because it, yeah. it's a good time. I, Adam, I would even take you.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we'd have to set up some boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a two-person tent. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I, you were telling me about your quilt. You wanted me to feel how soft it was, all these things. I yeah. Don't, yeah.
2: So that's – um. Uh, man, we could go down the, the, the gear rabbit hole –
1: yeah, I, I know I, I know you're running short on time. I don't for, even know what
2: time is it. Yeah, it's it's five about that, it's
1: about that time. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we can continue this conversation, you know, at a later date, maybe once you're successful at this bum. Something like that. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh so where can people follow along with what you're doing? You got a podcast now, you've got your um initiative that you're you know, fully funded on and all okay. that stuff. So where can people follow along with uh, all the stuff that you're doing?
2: So if you want to connect with me, um, at more of a, like a personal outdoor level, I'm, I am limitless outdoors. You can find me on, on Facebook and Instagram as limitless outdoors. That's spelled with an L I M B, um, as limitless outdoors. And I have a website, limitlessoutdoors.com And I do have a YouTube channel, but I don't, I don't do a whole lot with my YouTube. Um, I I am now in a podcast relationship with Al K- Quackenbush. It is Sprocket and Chubs. Uh, yes, it is. It's a uh, it's a spoof on Miami Vice. It's all things um arch, kind of arch related, hunting in the outdoors, turkey hunting, all that kind of good stuff. Um, it's a lot of fun. Sprocket and Chubs. We have a we are on Instagram as well. We're on all of your major podcast platforms, and then from a pay it forward standpoint, being an amputee, I have a grant program. Um, we're in our second year. It is the annual, um, amputee archery grant initiative or a three G initiative. And that has a.org. I am a not for, uh, not for profit, um, 501 C three. And I put together an archery package, every year. And I give it to an amputee. We select one amputee every year. Last year was the first year raised over $5,000 worth of archery equipment. And we gave it to a, as a single, um, upper limb amputee this year. Again, we are now a 501 C3. I have a board of directors. We've grown. Um, we've, about doubled the amount of value in our equipment this year. And, um, Chris, my handler today, he's a, uh, he's a resident and guide in Texas. He has graciously assisted me in, in putting together an all-inclusive archery hunt for our recipients this year. When I say all-inclusive airfare, lodging, food, one on one guide on a 2,300 acre low fence ranch, and they're the only people hunting that for opening weekends. We have meat processing and shipping donated, we have a shoulder mount and shipping donated. Uh, the, all they all they have to do is show up and go hunt and they're shooting their brand new elite bow that elite was so gracious to donate to the grant this year. Um, so again, you can find that at a3ginitiative.org. Um, also on Instagram, also on Facebook. Um, you can donate through all of those platforms. Um, our recipient this year, I'm announcing who that lucky individual is going to be tomorrow night. Tyrell Basin. Um, at the after party of Mission Twenty Four's opening shoot and the Beast Mode Archery Eight Hour Endurance Challenge, it's going to be an incredible day. Very, tomorrow. very
3: deserving individual when you hear hear his story. And, yeah, and and you need to share that text
2: message you got today. Yeah. Well, you know what? Since since this is future podcast, not tomorrow's podcast, this this gentleman <clears throat> again when. I am learning all of this stuff now. He submitted an application um, through the the grant process and he left a whole lot of pertinent information out of this this grant. Now, I want all the listeners to know, um, myself and the two other board members, we reviewed all the applications individually um, on our own, not sharing our thoughts or anything. And what came out of the wash is we all had selected this one individual as the primary without any communication or interaction based off of what he submitted amongst all the other applications. Turns out that he is an army veteran. Uh, He got out of the army, um, became a Maryland state trooper and was um, on his off day out on his motorcycle, was hit by a car and it severely mangled his left leg. He, he was in a uh, coma, I believe for a couple of days came out of a coma to a mangled left leg. Um, The medical field wanted him to go through limb salvage, but told him that his life would be severely changed forever. So he opted for an amputation. Recovered, was hired by a city fire department as a firefighter EMT, and he's now going through a paramedic program, father and husband. Just a stellar individual. And again, we're learning all of this after the fact So today, as we were wrapping up the, the, um, Chris ham vortex event, I received a text message from him and I'm going to, I'm going to read it while we're live. Let me find him here. Give me a second. I was talking to the wife. We are so grateful for everything you're doing. And we know it's a huge amount of cost and effort to get this all together. We want to pay it forward. We were hoping to either donate to next year's initiative or like a two hundred and fifty dollar prize pack to a youth hunter for this season if we could. This is what we have this year. And I am so, I'm so touched. Um I I'm not gonna read his bio. I asked him for a bio and when I was traveling out here, um, he sent it to me and he told me, he said, Aaron, I don't write very well. I'm I'm hoping this bio is gonna work. If you need to to, to touch it up, feel free to do so. I read his bio and literally it was, it was making me get all teary and snotty as I'm reading his bio and I'm reading his story because I knew nothing about it. And, um, man, I'm pretty excited. This is a cool year. And tomorrow evening, we get to announce to the public who he is, let everybody know what kind of a man this is. And this is what being limitless and what the A3G initiative is all about. It's Adam, it's, it's humbled, and we're gonna have an epic weekend
3: with him. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great.
1: Yeah, well, that's I mean that's incredible, and uh, you know, thank you for you know everything that you're doing for for the community and just you know, I give you a lot of shit, but it's pretty inspiring. You're just a you know, you're a little bit too bubbly for me, but you know. <laughs> You're a really positive dude, and you, is that why? Is that why message.
2: we only podcast once every two years?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I can only take so much. It's like kind of like a sweet tooth, you know. It's like, <laughs> but you know, really, it's like the, fentanyl.
3: You can overdose real easy on air. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's <laughs> the go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know the the positivity and your your message and 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 everything is really great um, for what you're doing, and you know, just keep doing what you're doing, and you know. You're, it's proof that good things will, will come, and I I really hope to you know see this thing grow to where you're you're helping a lot of people, um, like multiple people per year, and it kind of looks like you're on the on the track. We would to, we to would like that.
2: we would like to do that, Adam. We would like to. So my my wife is a secretary treasurer on the board of directors, and her desire. I don't know if it'll happen next year. Um, that could be one of our goals for next year, but within the next couple of years, for sure, is we want to expand and we want to have an, a, an adult recipient and a youth recipient. So we're, we're reaching out to, to amputees and, and, and those age categories and then potentially grow from there. So that's, that's the hopes and dreams, Adam, um, can't do it on my own. So it's, uh, again, it's, you know, I, I don't, and maybe that's one of my failures is I struggle with self-promotion but i'm just going to throw it out here while i'm on the mic with you um, if if you would like to donate for to donate to this opportunity to really change and impact the life of an amputee and or like this year to give to somebody who is 100% selfless like he had he had his career and his leg taken from him and he is doing nothing but overcoming and giving back. He's still serving his fellow man. So if anybody wants to help be a part of that um, and and donate or support, again, Limitless Outdoors, there's a donate button for it. Um, A3G, there's a donate button for it. Um, you can Sprocket and Chubs. If you reach out to Sprocket and Chubs, we have a YouTube. We're posting all of our, our podcasts on YouTube as well. If you, if you want to. To donate to A3G and be a part of this, then please reach out. And again, 501c3. I can give you a tax ID for tax purposes if that's what you need. But but yeah, all the all the help, love, and support is welcomed. Yeah, thank you very much for that opportunity.
1: Yeah, and like I said, just I really appreciate the time and as much shit as I gave you. I really do enjoy the the camaraderie. So thanks again for
2: doing this. Thank you, man. This yeah. is a good time. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well overdue.
1: All right.